G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, it's the Round 5 preview edition of the Footyology Podcast and we're up bright and early to record it and bring it to your ears. How are you Mark Fine? I'm well and you know what, I've been, my ears have been opened and eyes have been opened to the amount of people that listen to podcasts and where they listen. So g'day to everybody listening on the commute to work. Because I've yes. been told about a number of people that listen on the commute to work, or running the tan, or compelling program, but or podcast. But please don't miss your station. Keep an eye out if you've got to get off at Richmond or South Yarra to interchange. If you live in Melbourne, I know that we've got your attention, but don't miss your station. Well, uh, make sure you don't cross against the lights either. Funny. All those and sage take your pieces lunch. of advice. Take your lunch with you while you're at it. Don't forget that. All right, let's get into it. Um, let's toss over a few issues of the week. Uh, I've got to say, Finey, there's a, um, a disturbing theme emerging for supporters of two clubs, and that is Carlton and St Kilda. And... I reckon there's, there would be nothing more depressing as a supporter of a club than being down for a while and then you do the rebuild and you show a fair bit of patience and then there comes a point or a, a flash point where you suddenly think, oh my God, have we just wasted the last three, four, five years? And now you're a St Kilda fan. I'm wondering if you're starting to think that now. Oh yeah, there's a real sense of... I just sense it at the games I've been to and the St Kilda supporters I talk to, a real, not sense of doom, but a an awakening to the understanding that if there's a cycle in football that takes you from the top to the bottom, and St Kilda were a top team in 2009, 2010, and then back down to the point where they had a number one draft pick, then that cycle is not going to... It's this group is not going to take St Kilda on a cycle back to the top again. No, and that, it, it yeah. becomes apparent that, and you know, the big problem was at uh, Geelong on the weekend, St Kilda won the contested ball and the clearances. So the effort was there. I you could not really fault the effort. It's now apparent that St Kilda do not have the talent it appears to make the eight. That's what I was going to say. Just, I mean, it, it's three words, not good enough. Correct. And, and uh, Correct. I, I must say, I I didn't feel like that at the start of last season. They were being bracketed with Melbourne, and it was sort of like, you know, who's going to get into the eight first? My view then was that Melbourne probably had more talent, but St Kilda were more reliable. Now, I don't feel that that's necessarily not the case now, but like you say, um, the talent counts for plenty, doesn't it? St Kilda just don't have enough of it. No. Look, the start of last season, St Kilda and Melbourne were the two teams expected to force their way in the eight with bright futures. Melbourne may not since then have delivered on getting into the eight, but they still have a list that 
appears to be set to break into the eight and move onwards and upwards. St Kilda has not even plateaued, unfortunately, for St Kilda fans. It seems as though they've been overtaken by quite a few teams. And where's it gone wrong on an individual, individual by individual basis? I can't think of a player at St Kilda who has, since the start of 2017... Uh, Improved? That's not fair, because there are some young players that just by dint of playing football have have improved, but have uh, exceeded expectations and and become that player. The assumption was that in that group of 30 to 60 gamers, we didn't know who it would be, but there would be one or two players really take some leap forwards into... uh, for want of a better term, the A grade. What's happened is Jack Stephen, the best of players in that at St Kilda, has probably, if anything, flatlined. Maybe gone backwards a bit. Armitage has barely played. Come well, back, he's gone. He's cooked. Come back this season and not been able to hold a spot in the team. Jack Steele not as expected. Jade Gresham looked like he was going to take the game apart. He's still very talented, but a bits and pieces man. Billings tantalising. McCartan, no. Membry, okay, but not a huge improver. Probably improved a bit. Bruce backwards, etc., etc. Can you think of one player that's not just not not improved enough to make a difference? No. No way. The so, Ruckman have gone backwards. So, uh, final question, because we want to talk yep, about Carlton cool. as well. Uh, do they see how far they can get with this group, or do they make a very, very bold call and go, nah, this group's not going to cut it. We're going to start the next, not rebuild, but recalibration now. Yep. Well, here's the changes in thinking that St Kilda must embrace. They have been hell-bent on picking up that A-grader from another club and were very much at the forefront and in the year of Rory Sloan. Now, if Rory Sloan comes back to Melbourne at the end of 2018, he he would not play for St Kilda in their current state and St Kilda have to realise that. This draft coming up is being dubbed a super draft, a very deep, talented draft. St Kilda needs to position themselves to get as many picks in that as possible. All right, let's talk about the Blues because at least St Kilda fans have had a couple of grand finals and near misses and under Ross Lyon, you know, it was a reasonably... Well, no, it was a very successful era minus the flags. Okay, right? in the last ten, in, in the last 12 years or so, but, you know, yeah. don't say at least St Kilda fans have uh, because yeah. compared to Carlton, at least St Kilda fans have had nothing. Well, no, Carlton fans older than 35 because, yeah. let's be honest, the Blues' last flag was 23 years ago. Yep. Um, they had a run of, uh, what, three finals... Uh, appearances in a row uh, under Brett Ratton and then another one sort of by default 2013. But it's been a miserable, miserable new millennium for them. And uh, this is, uh, okay, it's only year three, but, um, gee, I'm, I'm I'm now starting to look at them and wondering, they've, they've got some talented kids, had five Rising Star nominations last year, but I guess the thing that's been laid bare for me with them is it only takes one or two injuries to their best players, and they are shot. They've got two talented kids, Cripps and Charlie Kuno. You don't rate Petrovsky suit? He's a nice complimentary Weatering. player. Weatering. No, he's having a bad run. 
he's having a bad run. He's a, a defender. You know, defenders don't have any great currency unless you get a freak like Alex Rance. Where's the influence of a tall defender in the modern game? In fact, the way some forward lines are setting up, tall defenders are asking whether or not they've got a spot in the team. And Wietering is, um, look, this week he's not playing because of injury, and that is in, in inverted commas. So he can't be included. Carlton... I'm going to lay it bare. I think Carlton will have to look back and and face a fact. And and this this is cruel because you've got a player, you've got some players who, for various reasons, have not been what the club expected. But I, I I'm willing to say this: Mark Murphy is a non-influential midfielder. Matthew Cruiser has played some very good football in the last year and a bit. He's injured again, but the sum total of Matthew Cruiser has not been as expected. So apart from, hopefully, Cripps, who was a great pickup, and Kerno, who really weren't top five picks anyhow, they have frittered away their high draft picks. I think, um, yeah, well, okay, the next question is, has, Sos, has Stephen Silvani as list manager got it wrong? I think I didn't mind them bringing in those guys who had senior games under their belt from GWS. I thought, you know, hold the fort whilst the list turns over. Hugely critical, I was. Well, now it looks like there's too many of them, and they've got too many what what we call list cloggers, and you can't you can't get rid of them in one one big hit. Hugely critical, I was and am of that, and why? Because a list manager has the job. And it's a lot easier in AFL than it is in other sports where internationally you need to be aware of it. In soccer, you need to be aware of every club around the world. In the AFL, you really need to be aware of secondary level football, barely, and then what value can I get out of the other 17 clubs? Don't tell me the Carlton have had 13 or 14 vacancies that needed to be filled at their club over the last three years. And GWS players were the best fitted every time. No. It just happened that Silvani came from GWS and he had a view on these players. Some he probably felt weren't getting enough game time because there was so much talent on the GWS list. Others he might... And, and in a way, almost felt obliged to give them another chance in footy. Okay, how, how do they get out of it? Can they get out of it? Uh, Carlton, two or three years ago, embraced the rebuild after being the last team to understand that you need to draft your way trade your way cleverly into a better position rather than wait for the Messiah. The Messiah complex died at Carlton later than at any other club. And I think now, finally, they're treading down the correct path. They just need to be a little bit understanding of something, and that is that they've got some players in that team that are f- that are flawed. So you can only get so far with Liam Jones and Casbolt and... They've had a chance to pull the trigger on Kaz Bolton. They haven't. I think they need to be more ruthless, to be honest. Um, last Messiah they tried, it really was a case of he's not the Messiah, he's a naughty boy. Well, the coach. Was, well, and the coach, Mick Bolthouse. Yeah. Well, he brought Daisy Thomas with him. and Yeah. You know, boy, oh boy, shouldn't that have rung some alarm bells? All right. Uh, yeah, not uh, not exactly rosy for those two clubs. Let's talk quickly about the importance of injuries. I've been really struck by the amount of good players getting knocked about with pretty serious injuries. But I, you know, I've got a theory. It's not rocket science. But 
I reckon injuries impact more on teams now. Talked about how the Blues are stuffed with only a couple of injuries to key players. But um, Ruckman particularly seemed to be critical to the equation. Now we've seen Port struggle without Ryder. Um, who, who else is in that boat? There's someone I'm forgetting. Well, Cruiser for, as a barometer for Carlton saw Melbourne struggle without Max Gorn. Well, we know Nat Nui. Nat Nui, the difference he's made in a positive way. Yeah. I mean, injuries are – and injuries, 80 90% are about luck. So, I mean, my, my take on this is the, the element of luck is more important in determining a side's success now than it used to be. Okay. First of all, luck to a certain degree – Clubs that have perennially injured players cannot point to injuries as being the reason of their, uh, the reason behind a disappointing season or a portion of a season. And I think of Collingwood. You know, Collingwood have played well in the last couple of weeks, but if it's not sustained, don't point to Elliot and Daniel Wells and players who are injury prone or, or basically beaten up. And say, oh, he's injured, he's injured, he's injured. Of course they're injured. You know that coming into the season. There can't be too many surprises there. You need to try and put together a sound list in footy. I agree that injuries have always been important. And it's sort of counterintuitive because I feel that now, with less positional play, there are less key players in a team. But Mm. I agree with this. What you say about Ruckman, I agree with. And to be a top team, you need two or three star players. Richmond become pretty mortal without Dustin Martin. Mm. So if the wrong player goes down at each club, the season can be can be short-circuited very quickly. Well, here's the guide on Richmond, as good as they were, and, and you always get the wrath of club supporters if you dare suggest that luck does play a part. But Richmond last year, Martin, Cotchin, Rewalt and Rance... They got 98 out of 100 uh, possible games out of those four and players. I, and you see, I don't feel that that's good fortune because right throughout their careers, they have been sturdy footballers. They, they've Have a look at their percentage of play, their play rate. None of them have ever been injured. Yeah. Well, so you don't think that's good fortune that they haven't been injured? I mean, like someone could have fallen across Alex Rance's I, knee. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying sort of impact injuries, yes. You can't really, you can't um, budget for that. But soft tissue. Yeah, that, yeah, they no, are, they're management. They are, stu- they are yeah. sturdy footballers, and it's no surprise that they front up each week. All right, a really quick one. You've heard a bit of a whisper about the uh, the games international horizons. Yeah. Now, despite the fact that I believe you'll be boosting crowd numbers this year, in, in <laughs> I will. Shang- is it Shanghai? It's Shanghai. Yep. Uh, Port Adelaide Gold Coast Saturday game. I'm there. I am going to Beijing, but uh, Abby and I are going on to Shanghai. Abby's yeah. my production assistant, and we're uh, going to do some fine work over there and sample some cultural delights. So is, is it an early game? Is it a Yamcha game or a... <laughs> uh, I would, yeah, that's not a bad, bad suggestion, actually. Yeah, I wouldn't mind a Yamcha while I was watching Gold Coast and the Suns. Probably need something to watch those two teams. Well, next year you're not going to have to worry. Because okay, so who's up? What's happening? They want a Melbourne team. All right. So and who gets and, the boot, the, same... the Suns or the power? Well, the, the oh, home the team, power, the Suns. Yeah. So, again, it'll be a, a Victorian side to host the game. Yeah. And there'll be seven figures on offer. Yeah. And with $10 million in debt, St Kilda are right in the frame. Is that right? Yeah. 
might win, uh, might be able to win in Gone. Shanghai. No way. St Kilda's, St Kilda's uh, you know, not been able to win much in Tassie, wasn't able to win in New Zealand. Oh, that's right. <laughs> they, they're, they're not up for the... Um, they're not up. They weren't able to win on Good Friday. They're not up for the fe- for the uh, special for the specials list. But they're up for the money. Oh, they'll take the money. They'll yeah. take the money. But, take the um, money and run. Yeah, take the money and lose. <laughs> um, all right, that's enough for our opening segment. It's time to move on. On Footyology Media Watch. All right, this is the one all our peers tune into, Finey, and it's like Paul Barry's media watch. They listen, they say, those bastards going to mention us and do us over. But we've had some positive stuff as well, a bit. Um, anyway, you're going to kick us off today. What what are you thinking media watch-wise? I, um, I feel that radio commentary, and indeed football commentary, has almost... Uh, come back too far in terms of colour and entertainment. Now, there was a suggestion maybe a decade ago, 15 years ago, with Rex Hunt at the height of his powers and many impersonators, not direct impersonators, but people trying to go down that track. Uh, Brian Taylor come in, Triple M football. They had seeped into TV coverage that we were losing the fine art of restrained commentary a la British or English soccer commentary, mm. and we were going too much for vaudeville. Mm. I think we've the balance has been addressed way too far. and We've overcorrected. Correct. Vanilla is the new flavour. There are so many, to me, commentators who have from the same stable. Radio, TV or both. Radio, and then they come to television. Yeah. Now, people go, you know, he's great. Adam, is it Adam Papalia? Papalia. Papalia. Yeah. Fox have put him forward and he's done a fair bit of commentary. Yeah. He's great. And he is, you know? Yeah, I love him. Doesn't make a mistake. But I can give you 10 Adam Papalias. Yeah. And and they are just being churned out over and over again. And, you know, there should be a meter. I've got a meter. And you know what the meter is? What? Football footballers' nicknames because they are born out of the media. Yeah, from Louis Richards to Rex yeah. Hunt and onwards, a, a footballer's nickname, not his in-house nickname, the, the sort of um, I, I I actually don't like them. The ones that the footballers have for each other that they don't like that the public use. You know the the real um, intimate inner sanctum nicknames. So I'm talking about the fun nicknames. What about the, the package? flying doormat? What the, about the package? That's recent. How many have we got? How many, many nicknames are there in football anymore? Okay. I think of the new breed of forwards. You know, Tom Lynch and Cameron and Patton. They've got no nicknames. Winchy? Yeah. <laughs> the general? Yeah, great. Uh, yeah. What was the third one? So every Patton's going to be the general and what? Jeremy Cameron? Um, the camera <laughs> The Cameronian. Um, Camo. No, I can't. Jezza. <laughs> Camo. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. But, but is that... I mean, who's got the colour? Who is the young football? Who are the young up and t- coming commentators with a bit of, you know, with some fun about them? No, no, you're right. But it depends the format. And in Adam Papalia's case, I mean, he's always going to be partner with two, if not three, ex players. And Fox are very much of the view that the former players are the stars of the show. So that is his role. And I find that well, the counterbalance is fine. Yeah, but you don't. Fox tell what? Fox tell want a. A colourless straight, caller. A straight up and down caller. Yeah. They want the expert comments and yeah. they become 
becoming pretty staid and bland. There's not a, a hell of a lot of fun there. Yeah. And then they want a um, an attractive face on the boundary. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, do we... I just sort of feel in Adam's case, if he was sort of going vaudeville or hamming it up a bit more or whatever and you had Doom and you had... Jason Dunstall. They're not. They're not very. They're not a lot of colour on f- football commentary, though. Yeah. But on on TV, I mean, Dooms. They're observational. They're they're sometimes verbose, but they're not. There's not a lot of fun. And I re- I know Channel Seven tried it on Friday night a bit with Taylor and etc. And they got canned for it. Now I'm not saying it. I'm not saying it has a place. That was Saturday. Yeah, Saturday, Saturday night. Sorry. Yeah. I'm not saying it, it. It has a place even in football commentary. But it's yeah. now happening in radio that that the the, the state and conservative are getting are getting the gigs and nobody really none of these young commentators have the have the balls to go out there and be a bit be themselves and be a bit special because they're all the same. Well, I've got to defend them. If I was young and emerging and and was lucky enough to have a gig doing that, I wouldn't be putting. I wouldn't be putting my, you know, what's on the line uh, in terms of hamming it up. Okay, so and, no, and risk. Well, there you go. Losing that are. gig. Well, there we are. So it's not their fault. Oh no, no, I'm saying they. No, it's not their fault. But management want it to be straight up and down. And oh yeah, I think yeah. To be honest, I think we lose something because. I'm not talking back, just going back to Rex. Harry Beitzel. You know, it goes back a long, long yeah, yeah. way. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And uh, there's a broader issue here, really, which is that this these bloody um, pigeonholes into which everyone is crammed. And in TV terms particularly now, if you're a non-former AFL player, you are a newsbreaker or you're a straight caller. <laughs> And the only time you can inject your opinion or analysis or whatever into it is if you've played two hundred games. And we we all know that there are there are plenty of former players in those roles who don't do their homework, don't research, don't watch enough games, and sort of strut in and think, "Oh, well, I played two hundred games." You so. hate that, don't you? I do because it's it's a fraud. It's fraudulent, and yeah. and it comes from this view that. You know the 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 educated footy fan will only accept a a call about how a team's playing from a two hundred game player. But what what if the guy played the two hundred games two decades ago, which in most cases is the case? How relevant is that playing experience ridic- to what we look at now? It's ridiculous. You know, for example, we we are this program is we editorialise. We didn't play AFL football. We've watched thousands of games, and we've earned money for an extended period talking about football. So there there has to be some there has to be some credibility garnered from that. And you look at them in America, all these programs that we get off ESPN, you know, Mike and Mike and all these all these guys that opine on the game and they're given oxygen and you get a a cornucopia of of opinions that are valued and interesting because I can tell you one thing if it's always going to be footballers, here's the problem. There's still a code, and that code is respect for play. There's all, it's always imbued with this um, leaning towards the... If a player's up for a report, for example, they tend to favour the player. Yeah. If a player's up for criticism, they tend to make the excuse. Well, that's one problem. I'll give you another problem with it, and sorry to be blunt about it, but not enough of them are smart enough. <laughs> they can't articulate, you know... the. <laughs> 
the smarter ones have the insight into the game. Yeah, there are some but, very good but, ones. But even if they do, they might not necessarily be able to articulate it. Yeah, and, and look, there needs to be a filtering system. And I really love an ex-player that becomes good enough to commentate and editorialise. So people might not like Dwayne Russell, but he's got he's built up skills that are... To me, commensurate with a non-footballer. Yeah, I don't, I don't get the um, disdain I, I, for Dwayne. I, I like him. I, I, I like him. I like him I do. too. And I think he's actually got colour. Yeah. And I, and I wish somebody could help me because he did one of my favourite, favourite pieces of commentary, but I could only remember half of it. And it was many years ago in a Brisbane game, and I can't remember who they were playing, and the ball was on the outer wing, and two players were chasing, for, chasing it, and one was Moody of Brisbane. And I can't remember the other player, but he said, the ball goes out pursued by Moody and... I can't remember the Enigmatic. other name. No, it was Moody and something, and he said, that reminds me, I've got to contact my, call my wife straight after the game. <laughs> and I can't remember who the other player was. I don't, but, even, I don't even remember Moody. Yeah, he played for Brisbane, and, and I can't remember the other player, but it's so beautiful. It was seamlessly done. Well, you know, like you say, we've both earned a living out of talking about football. We didn't play at the elite level. Um, maybe the bottom line is there is an audience for people like us, but not a big enough audience because we, you know, pre the AFL encyclopedia days, we could have just gone around and said, oh, yeah, I played a few for St Kilda in the mid-80s. Oh, no, I wouldn't admit to playing for St Kilda in the mid-80s. <laughs> I would have been better than that, um, if I'm going to lie. Really, it's there is there is a huge appetite for interesting discourse on anything. But it's how it's how the people in power at football, at TV networks, radio stations choose to deliver that message badly. And, well, if unfortunately, to get the very best opinion from non-players, because it takes much longer for a non-player to win over the respect of the audience than an ex-player, these organisations are not willing to persist with or take time to develop these voices. Rather, they take the instant sugar hit of a former champion. Yeah, because they're, they're, uh, their nuts are on the line and uh, if they don't deliver, they get moved on pretty quickly. And that's the thing. Yeah, you never have an executive making a decision who's there for long enough to see it through. Well, it, do you know, interestingly, we're, we're, some of the great colour and commentators in the modern game started where? And I'm talking about Rex Hunt, um, McAvaney, Eddie Maguire. Where did they first commentate football? Channel 10. VFA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was a secondary competition that allowed... They honed their skills. Correct. Now, with all due respect to Jason Bennett and my great mate Nigel Carmody, they're not developing alternate styles doing that commentary. Let's talk quickly about... um, Now, we're talking about commentary, but... uh, Interviewing is, is one skill that former players, this is one that always gets me when former players are doing interviews on p- panel shows or whatever. They don't have the journalistic skills or insight necessarily to steer an interview. They've got a, a scripted list of questions and too often there'll be a good thread of conversation developing and it gets derailed because they can't um, they can't sort of act on the spur of the moment. Now, to wit, I bring this up because... There's been some tragic footy stories sort of come to public attention in recent in, in the last week or so. We had the Gary Rowan and the sad loss of a twin whilst one was born. Ben Crocker to, from Collingwood talking about it, looking after his father with Alzheimer's. Really moving. A couple of really moving interviews. So on the mark on Fox Footy with 
uh, Neroli Meadows, Sarah Jones and Kelly Underwood. And um, he did one with Andy Marr on SEM, which was equally moving. And then Merv Keen on, on the couch on Tuesday night talking to Mike Sheehan about, and if you haven't seen it, I strongly urge you to watch it, but in a nutshell, Merv lost his daughter last September to alcoholism, uh, which had been an ongoing battle once she sadly lost. And his wife um, blamed herself for that for that uh, that terrible event. They got a very confronting letter from the coroner's court telling them um, it was going to her Emily's death was going to be uh, investigated and and even more tragically, Merv's wife took her own life and it was twenty five days apart. And this all happened with the grand final as a backdrop and of course his old club with which he played in three premier and so he has decided to um become a bit of an, an advocate i guess for for like talking to doctors about the stresses on them because his daughter was a, a brilliant gynecologist um and he i guess wants to sort of offer a bit of hope to people who are in these darkest of places and it was a wonderful interview and Kudos, and I, I tweeted about it, but I, I very remiss of me not to give enough kudos to Mike Sheen because he's a mate of Merv Keynes. But just to do that interview and to to keep everything in check, and ironically, you know, it was Mike who was becoming more emotional during the interview, whereas Merv w- was quite stoic. But just to steer it along the right lines, ask the right questions sensitively, get the discussion going. In those circumstances, that's where you see journalistic interviewing skills at their finest. And I thought it was a you know sensational performance from Mike, but incredible courage from Merv Keen, incredible courage from Ben Crocker to talk about his dad and, and what that's done to their family, incredible courage from Gary Rowan to you know post on Facebook and, and share this news with people. And you know we talk about courage on the footy field a lot, Finey, but. It, it, it's not, is it? This is real courage. It's life courage. The invasive nature of social media means that a public figure cannot now expect to be afforded the privacy they deserve in even the most difficult of private situations. And the Merv Keen story was known in football circles and probably known by too many people but that is the modern nature of information dissemination. I thought it was, I was surprised at how quickly he was appearing in the public space. But again, it, it speaks to where the world is today. To Mervyn Kane, first of all, Mike Sheehan, he's a, he's a pro. And you don't get to be respect, you don't get to be the old, the old champ without being a champ. And he proved it in that interview. And to Mervyn, he deals with a subject beyond anybody's comprehension, a, a sadness beyond tears. And he, with some cathartic therapy, ther- therapy behind it, hopefully not only spreads a message, but eases his own pain by doing that interview. And only, I think, Mike could have helped him through that. Yeah, it's powerful stuff. All right, that's enough for this week's Moody Watch. Let's move on. On Footyology, previews with Punch.
Well, that's what the segment title is, and that's how they're going to be done, because we've got a lot to do. Big game to kick us off in round five, Friday evening at the SCG, Sydney and Adelaide, two teams which I think most people expect to be near the top of the ladder, but injuries a real factor in this one. The Crows, without the Crouch brothers, now Sloan, um, Eddie Betts with a hamstring, Walker's carrying injury, uh, can't I can't see him doing it. What Walker carrying? Uh, it's foot, heel. Okay. Okay. No, I, I sense your scepticism. Uh, I tipped the Crows to win the flag, but uh, they're just not in the right space personnel-wise at the moment. It's at the SCG. Swans in a really high-quality game against the Bulldogs did what they had to do, turned a, a, a losing situation around. Um, yeah, they get the chocolates for mine. These seem to be the two teams' best place to challenge Richmond this year. Yep. And they're not really making a lot of ground through, through because of injury. Adelaide are losing ground on a weekly basis. Sydney comfortably. Okay. Oh, this could be ugly. St Kilda takes on GWS at Etihad Stadium, one forty-five Saturday afternoon. The Saints not famously won this game last year. They did win this game last year, which... You know, it was a good the, win. Well, it was a good win, but it didn't sort of amount to anything, no, did it? No, um, no. Giant, that, yeah. That was the last happy day. Yeah, right. And <laughs> and almost about a year ago, it was almost the same stage. Um, yeah, look, memory back for the Saints, so you've at least got memory and McCartan up there. The Giants, what I like about the Giants this year is particularly that win last week over Freo, they're not necessarily doing it with a spectacular burst. They're sort of grinding out wins. They're pacing themselves during wins a bit more. Delidio, uh quite ominously, really good game for them. Griffin sort of back in, in town. I think there's a more Ooh, solid... Griffin back in town? Well, you know... He's, well, he's back in Melbourne. He's on the, <laughs> to play St Kilda. He's on the park. Um, I think there's a more solid look about him. I, I think they'll win well. St Kilda... They've got a real opportunity to claim a, a, a scalp. They'll never get a better chance to beat GWS. I mean, no Kelly, no Lob. Eddie had not a great place for GWS and Kilda. Don't mind playing against them, but they are just, at the moment, so incapable of putting the score scores on the board that you can't tip them. I'm, I, I really would want to, I, I was going to tip St Kilda, but they're not going to kick enough of a score. No. GWS wins. Okay, MCG, 4.35, Saturday afternoon, Carlton takes on West Coast. Now, if you weren't aware of the background of the last couple of weeks, you'd look at this and think, ooh, ooh, ooh Blues are a big chance here. But, well, I don't know, maybe they are, because the Eagles, their record at the MCG is dreadful, and they, they seem to really struggle to overcome the hoodoo factor. But for mine, the Eagles have been the biggest surprise packet of this season. I, I think they've looked terrific. They've sort of reinvigorated. Nat Nui's made a huge difference. Lacra is revived. Unfortunately, a couple of the young guys who'd helped him look revived are now out with long-term injuries, and that's uh, Ryan and Venables. Um, but Josh Kennedy now back in the equation. Jack Darling's playing good footy. And you know what? I, I interviewed Adam Simpson on SEN during the week, and he says the same thing. You know, we're not quite sure where we're at yet. You know, it's just sort of his get-out mechanism. But they have to have a really good win here, I reckon, if they're going to say, yeah, we're, we're more than what we were. Because this is exactly the sort of game people expect them to struggle in. Now, the Blues, 
absolutely smashed by the Roos last week. They have to show something as well, but Eagles are mine. West Coast, their formula to making finals is pretty simple. We're going to win most of the games in Perth. We have to win some on the road. If they can't see themselves beating and then go out and beat Carlton, what games are they going to win on the road? Mm. This seems to be an on-year for West Coast. They're, in the last decade, been a team that is either in a season or not in a season, mentally and on the scoreboard and on the ladder. They're in this season, so I think they win this game because history tells us that they win a few away from Perth, and this one now would read as probably probably the easiest. Yep. Yep, okay, so we're in agreement so far, three out of three. I'm so glad you didn't say agreeance. Every time anybody ever says that, you know an angel dies in heaven. (laughs) um, An Oxford Dictionary angel. Um, Let's go uh, to Adelaide, Saturday evening, 7.40 Melbourne time, 7.10 Adelaide time. Port Adelaide taking on Geelong. Port Adelaide, disappointing last week against the Bombers. However, having said that, they hung in there enough to still be some sort of silly chance early in the last quarter and a day when most of their stars were ordinary with the exception of Robbie Gray. Uh, back on I home... We, I thought Wingard did some good things. Okay, all right. I, I, back on home turf, yep. Cats, injury issues for them too. And uh, Cats aren't as good as they used to be on the road, I don't reckon. Now, stats might prove me wrong there or someone might prove me wrong, but... Um, you know, it was an efficient enough win by them against the Saints, but was that a good enough test? This is a much stronger side at not only an away venue, but on the road. Uh, I reckon Port will be keen to sort of make a statement. I'm going for them. Not by a lot, but I think Port will win. This will be a finals-type game of football because Port lost. It's back in Adelaide. They have to win it to keep on track for a top four. Geelong have to win it because they need to win games away from... Uh, their home ground, and they need to get some upsets if they want to have a crack at the flag. Not make the eight, but have a crack at the flag. So a lot on the line here, and I will be making some really valued judgments on both clubs after the game, Mm. but before the game, I'll tip the home team. Okay, so we remain in... Important game for my future prognostications. Okay. Uh, let's go to Perth, Optus Stadium, yep. Saturday evening, 8.15 Melbourne time, 6.15 Perth time. This is another in- intriguing game too. Fremantle, a couple of pretty impressive performances, a couple of ordinary ones, taking on the Western Bulldogs. Two shockers for them, two really good ones from them. Only delivered one victory, but I reckon last week they would, you know, had that been any other side, just about, they would have won that game, not lost it. Uh, they've had the big sort of inspiring road victory before, most memorably in the 2016 elimination final against West Coast. Dockers weren't they weren't shocking against the Giants, but they they never looked likely to win. Their other road trip this year was to Adelaide round one, and they were terrible. Um, and they've been pretty good at home in two. So, what do you make of that? I yeah, I, I stick with the Dockers, but by a kick. Yeah, to me. Headline reads, Cuckoo Coach Gets Selection Wrong Again. Why would you bring Tom Boyd in the team for the, this game? I mean, he's a guy that you really want to get back in with a good game, get his confidence up and try and recapture the magic that was the 2016 Grand Final and has not been there since. And that's a very tough game to play, your first game of the season, over there in 
WA, what's he going to do? Ruck against Sanderlands? Is that the idea? Or play full forward, which is very hard to do for the Bulldogs at the best of time, let alone over in Perth. I just think it's silly selection. And, you know, their team is unsettled. They shouldn't have made any changes. They were really good against the Swans. Mm. Why are they dropping bigs and dicking around? I'll tip Frio. Okay. Uh, Sunday. Two games on Sunday. We've got North Melbourne taking on Hawthorne at Etihad Stadium, 3.20pm. I know this sounds ridiculous, but I've really toyed seriously with the idea of tipping the Roos in this game. They've beaten the Hawks about once in their last 10 attempts, I think. But they, they have impressed, I reckon, so far this year. I told people they were going to be better than some said. Um, ben Brown in magnificent form. I think their other more important players have come to the party. I think they're starting to get decent footy out of Jed Anderson. Uh, Billy Hartung has proved to be a good pickup. Oh, like... Have you got any, any other ex Hawthorne players you want to? Well, yeah, even more reason why they might have good games. But <laughs> that old that old um, footy Chestnut. record special. Um, and <laughs> as to the Hawks, well, they couldn't have done a lot more. But I think Rioli and Puopolo are big losses. I mean, well, they they, are. they play a big forward territory game those days. Add and... that to Burgoyne, and they lose. Yeah, correct. A lot of, a lot of their magic. Correct. And and I think North are a significantly better side at Eddie had too. So for all this big build up, I've toyed with the Roos, but I'm picking the Hawks. <laughs> but not but not by That's much. Not, they be to me North B using the street vernacular of the United States. Oh yeah, North B, yeah. North B Hawthorne's bitch. North B like Hawthorne's bitch. Yeah. Is so I'm not picking the big Hawthorne. <laughs> okay. You're going to be kidding. All right. Well, he's I a know big, what that means. Here's a big occasion in footy finding the Q Clash. I think it's the, is it the 17th Q Clash or something. And uh, I always thought that was a game between Q amateurs and <laughs> and uh, one of the schools from up the road, like Xavier or something. Yeah, okay. Well, no. Um, no, two sides who delivered uh, arguably the two worst performances of last round. Arguably so, 93 and 80 odd points. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, Brisbane could only manage two goals. I cut the Suns. Who's, who's called them? Barisha? <laughs> Very good. Uh, no, uh, Christian Theoharis is my son's favourite player, so I'm just slipping him in there. Um, I cut the sons a bit of slack. You know, they spent the week in Perth. Two uh, weeks. Uh, yeah, well, that, you know, Robbie Walls tried that with Brisbane uh, Bears about 25 years yeah. ago, so I don't think anyone will be doing that again. But just on that, I've heard how tough it's been to spend two weeks in Perth. It's not Mosul, it's Perth. <laughs> yeah. Really, it's not, it's not terrible to spend two weeks in Perth. Well, I love Perth. My parents are both from there. The beaches are great. It's not necessarily a cultural epicentre finding. It's I'm, the most isolated city with more than a million people in the world. But I'm tipping the Gold Coast Suns weren't sort of after uh, you know, taking in a fantastic play or opera or something. So, um, Brisbane Suns, who wins this one? I'll, I'll, t- I'll tip the Bears. <laughs> Come on. Well, who's serious. the Bears, Gold Coast or Brisbane? Um, well, this game's at the Gabba, so, so I'll tip, probably Brisbane. I'll, I'll tip Brisbane. Um, I'm going for the Suns on this one. I think uh, their form overall has been a bit better. I, I don't know. I'm really vacillating on this one now. Yeah. Uh, no, I'll go with the Suns. Eric Hipwood still getting 10 touches a game, isn't he? Yeah, they're good touches, though, finally. Yeah, they're great. All right, let's go to Tuesday. Anzac Eve, the now traditional Anzac Day Eve. Uh, game between Melbourne and Richmond. And um, 
Oh, bloody demons, had they not turned in such a stinker against the Hawks last week, this would have an enormous build-up, and it got, a, it got an enormous crowd last year. It was a pretty pivotal game, really, in terms of how Richmond built their premiership campaign. Um, Melbourne copped a lot of injuries in that game last year. Uh, demons have got to pull something out, but Richmond at the G, yeah, it's becoming like uh, Geelong at the Cattery was about 10 years ago, or still is. Um, can't tip against the Tigers. Just on, just on that, I've heard through social media that people are advocating to do the treble. You go and watch Richmond Melbourne, you then stay up for the dawn service, mm. and then you go to Collingwood Essendon. Now, try doing that without amphetamines and playing field. <laughs> well, it's Honestly, but I've, I've, people are advocating this, this sort of Anzac, Anzac experience. How do you do that? Well, the NRL are pushing it too because you can go to the Anzac Day game and then go over the road to Amy Park and watch uh, the Storm take on the uh, Warriors. Oh, that's methamphetamines. If you <laughs> <want> to... <laughs> that's even more. <laughs> All right, so hang on. Did you tip Richmond or Melbourne? Oh, I'm going to tip the Tigers. I'll tip Tigers every week until further notice. All right. Um, let's go on to the last game of the round, the big one, of course, Anzac Day this year on a Wednesday, Collingwood Essendon. Uh, the Bombers had had a shoddy record in this game until last year, but turned things around. Collingwood's form, better, definitely better. The last two weeks for them have been great. In fact, three weeks. That game against GWS, they played pretty well. Just couldn't finish it off. Um, and uh, they were terrific against the Crows. Really used handball as a potent weapon. I thought the Bombers were pretty good against Port, though. Very um, good. Yeah, they were. Because, um, because they were challenged at various times, and they never let a good team back in the game. No, a real plus too. Mac Welfie, um, straight into that side. He's going to stay there because he did some really mature things. He's only 20, but he's played a couple of years of senior footy in WA. He really adds something to that That's midfield. Good. That is the big worry for me with the Dons because the Collingwood midfield, plenty of depth. And At the MCG, is it even spread even further? Yeah. Guys like Myers get a bit... Struggle a bit at the G? Interesting, though. Uh, good call, but interesting because he has played arguably the worst and best games of his career in the space of two weeks. So they, interesting. Yeah, no, they really need him. Strong body, need him to play a big game. Um, it'll be a slight upset, but I'm going for the Dons by kick. I just think they can turn that sort of turning of the corner uh, against the power into a turning of another corner and hopefully not keep turning corners and just go around a big circle. But I think they're on the right path there, and I'm going for the Dons by two points. You know that old expression, throw the form guide out in games like this? You know, it doesn't the matter. The flog guide? The form guide. Oh, People right. say throw the form guide oh, yeah, out yeah, yeah. because of this game. Yeah. Because it's of the nature of the game. Yeah, that's an adaptation of no matter where they are on the ladder. Yeah, don't throw the form guide out because even if it doesn't affect this game, often on the other side of the form guide, of the other games or the other meetings. So don't throw your form guide out and don't tip Essendon. Oh, I, I'm tipping Collingwood. And okay. it, it tosses the coin. Hurry up. Just very quickly, give me three names, three players to you that are synonymous, uh, synonymous with and famous because of Anzac Day. What three names stand out? Heard. Yep. Um, Pendlebury. Yep. Mark McGough. There you go. See, for me, it's McGough, Zaharakis, oh, yeah. what did I say and Zaharakis. Yeah, I should, yeah, okay. Not heard. No, I'm just saying that they, you know, because of the first draw. Yeah. But yeah. It's, it's an interesting question to ask people because yeah. so many people put McGough in. Yeah, yeah, well, it's just, well, wasn't his first game or close to it? Yeah, it was a wet day and yeah, he, he, he won the medal. All right, let's move on. On Footyology, never again.
All right, I'm going to be really quick. Um, never again will I take on too much work. It's 7.30am. My eyes are hanging out of my head. I'm getting about two hours sleep a night. I'm doing about 500 gigs. Yeah, look, I like my work, but I need to eat and sleep, Fanny. I'm just staggering over the line here. I'm off straight from here. I'm off to another gig and then another one after that and another one after that. You know, I enjoy my work, but I want to eat. I want to sleep. I want to see my partner. I want to see the world. And I love my work, but I've got to draw a line somewhere, so don't anyone offer me any more work for a while, okay? I can't take it anymore. My never again is never again should you be so insensitive because I have not found much oh, pain so, work I'm since sorry. I lost my gig at SEM. In fact, you do some of my gigs. <laughs> I'm sorry. You, part of your complaint is find his final siren. Oh, no. So this is like, you know what this is like? Oh, this, no, is like sorry. this is like fat bastard from... <laughs> This is this is like fat bastard from um, the uh, what's it the, you know Austin Powers movies yeah. coming in and complaining to a um, a child of the Biafran famine that I just can't there's too much food around <laughs> oh, no. I'm sorry you know what I, we can solve both our problems okay give some of it to me okay well I am <laughs> this I'll I'll, I'll Babies need baby needs a new pair of shoes, brother. Now, well, there you go. You see, the 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 changing fortunes in the world of media. So, good on you, mate. I'd rather you get all the work than anybody else if it's not me. And I know that's genuine, and I appreciate absolutely. That. And I love having, I love working with you, Finey. We're a good, we're a good team. We'll drop pounds for food, by the way. <laughs> okay, come on. What's yours, quick? Uh, mine never again is never again bag the footy show, which I was on last night. No, yeah. not because I was on in dispatches last night, but live TV is very tough. Uh, on live radio, yeah, you can make a bit of mistakes. Sorry, I yeah, take two. That was just terrible radio. Let's keep going, and people don't mind because it's so disposable. But you know what? It's a very tight. It's a tight ship and not easy to do. And Sam, who's in his seventies, gee, he was verse. He was quick on the punch last night and really servicing the needs of the footy show very well at his age. All right, well done, good call. I was going to say, speaking of terrible radio, that's it for us. But uh, no, this has been good fun, Finey. Hopefully you're enjoying the Footyology audio podcast. I told you, my eyes are hanging out of my head. Stay tuned for Footyology TV. Each Sunday night we bring you a full wrap-up of the round and we are doing it this week despite the fact there's a couple of games left over. And I did say during the uh, podcast that every time I hear the word agreeance, an angel dies in heaven. Yeah, what did I just say? No, no, no problems at all. When I was young, I was told, when I was in my room on my own, if I, you know, if I was, if if I did things, an angel would die in heaven. So. Is that it? No, there's no angels left. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I don't believe in God. Anyway, thanks, everyone. <laughs> oh, that's a great way to end the program. <laughs> As we just. Thunder! Lightning! Disenfranchise half our uh, fan base. Uh, we'll see you next week.